The following message has been brought to you by Trinity Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on the web at trinitybc.org. I shared with you a couple of weeks ago a conversation I had with a young man that had grown up in church, uh, but had knew a lot about, a little about the Bible rather, and would have checked the box as a, a Christian, but had gotten to the place in his early adulthood where he became more agnostic. And one of the questions he had for me was, how can you believe in the God of the Bible, a God who is good and loving and all-powerful, and explain all of the bad things that happen on planet Earth? And I immediately asked him, have you ever read the book of Habakkuk? And he said, have a what? And I think that is the response of many Christians even who have grown up within church. Uh, sadly, don't even know the book is in their Bible, much less given much thought to reading and studying it. Uh, the last number of weeks we have been walking through the book of Habakkuk. I encourage you to open your scriptures up to chapter 3. Uh, tonight I want to give you a little bit of a review of the book as we're going to be concluding it this evening. Uh, it's three short chapters, but goodness, it's three powerful chapters. Uh, the book is a lament, a, a cry out of grief and sorrow from the prophet Habakkuk as he looked to his day and age, and he looked around at the world, and he looked especially at the people of God, the Israelites, those living in Jerusalem, those who were supposed to be salt and light, those to whom had been given the law, those that God had made this special covenant with. And what he saw was wickedness and immorality and injustice. Uh, what he saw was just cruelty and the atrocities that people do to one another. And, and the book begins, look to verse 1 of chapter 1. Go ahead and just flip back to the beginning. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry and you not hear, even cry out to you violence and you will not save? Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore the law is powerless, and justice never goes forth, and the wicked surround the righteous, and perverse judgments proceed. Uh, Habakkuk was struggling as one who believed in God Almighty, as one who understood the characteristics of God and His righteousness, God and His justice. And he, he struggled looking around at the world and saying, how could things get so bad, God? When are you going to intervene? When are you going to make things right? I've been crying out to you, violence. How long, O oh Lord, is this going to go on? And it was seeming as if God was absent, as if God was distant from the struggles of his life. And so the book is really answering that question of what do we do in life when we look around and we see things that don't make sense to us, when we know who God is and we know the goodness of God and the love of God and the righteousness of God, when we look even at our own lives and experiences happen to us, and we don't understand why. Now, those things in life that we'd rather not walk through if given the choice. Uh, we, we look at things that go on and we say, Lord, why? You know, why has this come upon me? Why me? Woe me, oh Lord. Uh, everybody, if you've lived life on broken planet Earth under the sun for any length of all, uh, time at all, you've had those experiences. Uh, you've had those seasons of doubt. Uh, those seasons of this fear even of God, what is going on and why is this going on in my life? Uh, the book of Habakkuk uh, is a book written to lead us and guide us in those seasons of life. Uh, 
right, is a book that we get to see the heart of this man and the cry of this man, the sorrow and grief of this man, and we actually get to hear the answer that God gives him. And more importantly, that answer doesn't suffice, by the way. If you've been with us, you know that. It doesn't intellectually satisfy Habakkuk. Uh, The end of the book doesn't end with intellectual satisfaction. It ends with a call to faith, a call to trust, a call to surrender to God who is God, whose ways are above ours and beyond ours, who is ultimately eternally good and working all things for some eternal good uh, that we may not understand in the, the fleeting moments that we live in. And so Habakkuk cries out to the Lord, you know, what is going on? And, and God answers, just summarizing to get us to where we are in chapter 3, God answers the first time and he says, Habakkuk, I'm going to do a work that even if I told you, you're really not going to believe it. I'm raising up the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans were another wicked people group. They were pagans. They didn't follow God whatsoever. Um, they, they end up being even stronger than the Assyrians. They end up overcoming the Assyrians. And he says, I'm going to bring the Chaldeans in, and the Chaldeans are going to wipe the nation of Israel out. Now, they are the ones that came in, and the southern kingdom, specifically Judah, Israel, the northern kingdom, was captured by the Assyrians. Judah is overtaken by, eventually, uh, Habakkuk is being told prophetically uh, they they're going to come in and they're going to wipe out Jerusalem. They're going to lay flat the temple. And Habakkuk's response to that is, "Whoa, that's not what I was expecting, God. What about when God's answers aren't the answers that we expect from Him?" Habakkuk's response is, "God, how can you use a people more wicked than we are to accomplish your purposes? You're of a you're a God who's too holy to look upon evil at all." How in the world can you use the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, and the wickedness of the atrocities that they commit, the cruelty that they've they've committed? And God's answer to that is, don't worry, they'll be judged too. That, That they will stand accountable for all of their wicked acts. That they will stand accountable before God Almighty. He will judge them also in that appointed day of judgment. And the the answer that we come to after that response from God in chapter 2, specifically verse 4. Habakkuk is told to write this vision about the impending judgment that is coming, that God's going to bring it about. And God says to him, Behold the proud, his soul is not right, uh, upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4 is quoted three times in the New Testament. It's alluded to a couple more times in the Old Testament. The just shall live by his faith. That is, those that have been made right by God and His grace and His mercy, we do not walk by our intellect alone in this day and age, in this life that we live. We don't walk all the time by our sight even though at times we can see the goodness of God and we can see the beauty of God in a sunset, for example, but we ultimately don't walk by our sight. Ultimately, the just are called to live by faith. That We must believe the promises of God even when our mind can't make sense of what's going on. That We must believe the promises of God and live by them and hope in them and trust in them and in who He is even when our eyes see things happening that that speak against His goodness, that speak against His sovereignty even, as we don't know why and we don't see the big picture and understand the the purpose of it all, we are not called to have all the answers and reasonings for every little bit of suffering that goes on on planet Earth. 
If we had all those answers, we would not be human. We would be God. But we don't know it all. His ways are above us and beyond us. And the call that He gives to us isn't, isn't let me enlighten you so you come to understand it all. Now, the call simply is, I am God. You must trust Me. You must live by faith. And so the rest of chapter 2 was Habakkuk uh, being, God really speaking through Habakkuk, giving a, a word of judgment upon the Chaldeans that their time of judgment would come, that though they would be mighty and powerful and conquer many people groups and even come in and and take charge over the people of God, uh, their appointed day of judgment would happen. Uh, Concludes in verse 20, The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. Uh, God wins in the end. And even in those victories that the Babylonians would uh, accomplish, it was only by the, the sovereign hand of God letting it occur. Chapter 3 now, this evening, is the concluding chapter of the book. And you read in verse 1, it says, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on the Shiganoth. We'll call it that for sake of me not knowing how to pronounce that word. We don't really even know what the instrument was, but it was some sort of instrument. We find the very last words of the chapter, To the chief musician with my stringed instruments. That this last chapter of the book is actually a psalm. It's a song from the prophet Habakkuk. It is a. It's interesting as we think about it being a song that, that I mentioned Sunday morning even that God has made us to be a singing people. There's a peculiarity to that. Uh, you don't find you know the birds somewhat sing a song not not really to the extent at all that we do. You don't find a group of squirrels gathered together and one squirrel up in front of them, you know, performing, singing, and the others enjoying the the song of one squirrel. And yet we fill stadiums filled with with people with one person up there performing, singing a song. It's an interesting component of how God's created the human mind, the human heart, the human soul. Uh, We are a singing people. And God is delighted in the songs that we sing when they're sung rightly uh, to Him. uh, That God receives honor and glory in that, that we are actually edified through singing. We're to sing songs, uh, psalms, hymns and psalms to one another, spiritual songs, uh, the New Testament says. Uh, there's an edification even of one another in a song. There is something about uh, Christian song that can lift your heart, even in a, a moment of despair. And this, this final chapter is really a song that was written, a song to comfort our hearts, when we don't know why things are happening like they're happening, uh, when we do have the question of why, when our heart is hurting over a situation that is occurring to us personally, or even just uh, frustration when we look at life in general, and sometimes we say, God, where are you in the midst of all the crazy uh, that is going on right now? Uh, Habakkuk chapter 3 calls us, to just that simple faith in the Lord. I don't want to read it all right now. We'll read it all as we walk through the the message this evening, the sermon. But I want to read just a a few selected verses. First verses 1 through 3. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on the Shinnegoth. O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known in wrath. Remember mercy. And in verses 3 through 16, he really focuses back very poetically on 
God's works in time past for Israel. We'll look to them verse by verse as we walk through uh, through them later. I just want to read verse 3. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. Uh, dealing with those cities being in the land of Sinai, the area where the people of God were led out of Egypt and into the promised land. And then what unfolds is a very poetic, uh, a lot of imagery used to describe God's mighty works and time past for the people of God, for the nation of Israel. Verse 16, we'll begin reading and we'll read through the rest of the chapter through 19. He says, When I heard my body trembled, my lips quivered at the voice, rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself. When he heard of the pending judgment that God would bring upon the people of Judah. He says that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. And he will make me walk on my high hills to the chief musician with my stringed instruments. I want us to see tonight how to find rest in troubled days. How to comfort your heart in the middle of a, a season of turmoil, of trouble. When things are going on that you, you'd really rather not be going through and you definitely don't understand all the reasons why. Notice first in verses 1 and 2, what do you do when, when trouble comes and you're seeking to find rest in the Lord? First, notice you must cry out for God's mercy. Verses 1 and 2, the beginning of this song, what does Habakkuk do? Habakkuk does what he did really even in verse 1, chapter 1. He, he turns to the Lord in prayer. Only his prayer is a little bit different now at the end than it is at the beginning. In the beginning, he was crying out, How long, O Lord? And now, having received this answer from the Lord, what does he pray? O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. He says, God, I've, I've heard your proclamation of judgment that is coming not only upon the people of God, but even upon the Chaldeans and all the nations of the world because you are a holy God and we are a sinful people and, and the holiness of God demands, demands consequence, demands justice to make things right. Sinners must be punished. Habakkuk comes to a full awareness and understanding of this, that God is going to set all things right, and when He does, that's not going to be good for any person, for any human being, because all are sinners and fall short of the glory of God. And so he says, I've heard your speech and, and was afraid. There is a right terror of God that is so absent from the heart of modern-day Christians even. When we think of the holiness of God and the judgment that is rightly due upon us, upon humanity, that we have so humanized God, that we've made Him so much like us, that we've made Him so little and in respect to what it is that He is in His holiness and His righteousness, 
that, that so many don't fear God at all. So many Christians even don't have a reverence for God in His might, in His glory, in His holiness. Very few even speak of the holiness of God anymore. Habakkuk came to a fresh vision of the holiness of God. And he, he came to a, a, a new awareness of the judgment that was to be poured out upon, again, Jerusalem and even the Chaldeans and all the nations of the earth because of the holiness of God. And in a right way, the fear of, the God, a fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It, it produced a fear of God within his heart, a reverence of God, and even a fear of the terror of judgment that was to come. You realize that God's judgment upon Jerusalem, <clears throat> excuse me, upon Judah was severe. <clears throat> the Babylonians came in and they, they wiped Jerusalem, they laid it flat. Many people died. Uh, many that survived were taken back as slaves there into Babylon. Those that survived and remained would, be, uh, would live lives of plundering, being plundered left and right, defenseless because their walls were torn down, because the city was demolished, the temple was laid flat, they had no dwelling place anymore, they had no secure place, they, they would be plundered, they would be starved because it would be hard to grow food, and their, their entire life, the, the life of the people of God and the nation of Judah and the city of Jerusalem, the holy city of God, it, it would be demolished, and Habakkuk saw this in the prophetic word God gave to him, and rightly he was afraid of the judgment that would come. What does Habakkuk do? In his grief and even in his fear, Habakkuk cries out to God, O Lord, he continues, revive, revive your work in the midst of the years. Lord, revive your work of redemption your work of making your name known through the people that you have called, you're the covenant people called from Abraham even to be the people of God through whom God would make his name known to all the nations of the earth. This is the work that Habakkuk has in mind here. Oh God, revive your work with your people that you're drawing a people unto yourself and that you will make them a peculiar people. You'll make them a holy people. You'll make them salt and light to all the nations of the earth. Oh Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years, the years of judgment that were to come. What he does is he turns to God and he pleads for the mercy of God in the midst of his sorrow, in the midst of his grief, in the midst of the judgment that was rightly coming upon the people of God. He says, in the midst of the years, make it known in wrath, remember mercy. Wrath. There's another word we don't hear anymore because you don't hear about the holiness of God. What is wrath? Wrath is the relationship of holy, holy God to sinful man. Okay, If God is holy and perfectly righteous in all that He is and all that He does, when, when it comes to sin that which is opposed to Him, that which is against Him, the, the relationship that exists there is described as wrath. It's a holy indignation against all that is wrong, all that is unjust, all that is wicked, all that is evil. There is a wrath of God against sinners. The wrath of God against all that is wicked and wrong and all who are wicked and wrong in this world. And if you didn't know it or not, the New Testament says we are all born in enmity against God with the wrath of God 
abiding upon us because we're sinners and He's holy. There was a wrath of God that was coming. And Habakkuk's plea to God in the midst of his fear, in the midst of his grief, in the midst of his sorrow, knowing what is to come, he turns to God and he says, God, in wrath, remember mercy. Mercy is God not giving to us what we deserve. If you know anything about who God has shown Himself to be over and over again through the Old Testament that we've been studying through, that He's a God who first describes Himself as merciful and gracious, long-suffering and kind, forgiving, forgiving generation upon generation, any and all who turn to Him. And so Habakkuk, knowing the heart of God and the merciful character of God, he turns to God and he cries out, God, in your wrath, as this great judgment comes down upon us, remember mercy. Don't give us what we truly deserve. Remember mercy in your work that you're, you've been about, calling a people to yourself that you've shown mercy to and that you've, you've changed by your mercy and you even draw into yourself through your mercy. Don't, don't forsake that work. Make it known in the midst of wrath. Remember mercy. It's a good lesson for us that Habakkuk sets here. He doesn't take a hard-hearted... He does, let me word it this way. He doesn't rejoice in the judgment that is to come. There's a good way to word it. He doesn't rejoice in the judgment that was coming rightly upon the wicked. He actually laments it. He's actually grieved over it. And he's actually praying, God, in the midst of your wrath, don't, don't neglect mercy. Don't, don't forget your mercy. I remember back in preaching class at seminary, a person preached on hell, and they preached on hell in sort of a carefree way. It um, wasn't hard-hearted. It just was kind of matter-of-fact. Dr. York, the preaching professor, made the point. He said, listen, when you're preaching about hell, there ought to be tears in your eyes. That, that, that hell is not something we preach about, or the judgment of God as it's being proclaimed here. It's not something you proclaim with rejoicing and with you know, carelessness. No, there's grief in the fact that sinners must be condemned. There's grief in the fact that hell is real, and there are a great number of people who will spend eternity there. Our hearts ought to be ought to be broken over that. Even applying it just modern day, where people they speak so hard-hearted against sinners and people doing stuff wrong, you know, as Christians even, and go to hell and you're going to burn in hell for da 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 da, and they do so with a smug arrogance. That's not that's not of God. That's not of a true prophet of God. That's not a true believer. Habakkuk sets an example here that, that the judgment of God should grieve our hearts because we know if not for the grace of God, there go I, that we ought to also be under the judgment of God. We also know that the heart of God is to forgive, to redeem, to show mercy, and that's what God delights in. That's what the grand goal of it all is, that His Son comes. We'll get there. The Gospel itself is, is for a merciful redemption from the wrath of God that we rightly deserve. Cries out in wrath, remember mercy. It's good to remember when you're praying to God in the midst of suffering 
that you deserve far worse than the suffering you're going through. You realize that, right? We are all sinners. We deserve eternal condemnation. You don't deserve God. You don't deserve God's goodness. You don't deserve God's love. You definitely don't deserve God's intervention. You realize that right now. Whatever you're going through and whatever great sorrow is upon your heart, you realize we endure all of this mess that's the part of human life right now because of rebellion against God. It's because of Adam's sin and transgression against God. Sin has passed upon to every person and we lived in a cursed and fallen world because of our sin, because of mankind's rebellion against God. You realize we, by the grace of God, have an opportunity of salvation, right? Because of His mercy. We, we should be all condemned. We all should endure far worse than anything that this life can bring before us. It's good to remember that in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our sorrow, in the midst of our grief, to know when we turn to God that we are being arrogant and our soul is not upright within us when we question God as if we know better, as if we are undeserving of what we are walking Habakkuk ends in the place here where he's going to God and his heart is focused upon the fact that he has no real standing before who God is, before the true, living, almighty God who is holy and just and all that he is and all that he does. All he can do is go before him and plead for mercy. God, will you be merciful? Yeah, your people deserve this, but I know in the midst of it you are a merciful God and you are at work even in this to accomplish an eternal good as you have promised. You are drawing a remnant unto yourself and you will work redemption. Cry out for God's mercy to find rest in troubled days, firstly. Secondly, verses 3 through 16, remember God's past mercy. As Habakkuk cried out for God to remember his mercy, Habakkuk then goes into this very poetic description of God's mercy that He had shown to the people of Israel in time past. I think he's, in a way, recalling God to this remembrance. Not that God doesn't remember, but your prayers direct your heart more than it informs God. His heart is being reminded of the great mercies of God in time past. And so we'll quickly walk through these mercies of God shown to Israel. He says, God came from Taman, the holy mountain of Paran, Selah. Uh, that, that is dealing with their exodus from Egypt when they were uh, slaves in Egypt and in bondage and God freed them, brought them in through the, the uh, land of, of that Sinai Peninsula into the promised land. He's reflecting back upon all of those experiences where God showed mercy and divinely intervened to deliver His people. And he says, Selah, meaning stop and think about it for a moment. God came in the midst of their bondage, in the midst of their slavery, in the midst of all that they were going through, even through the wilderness wandering. God never left them. God never forsook them. God was with them every moment, through every trial, through every difficulty that they endured. God came. His glory covered the heavens and His earth, and the earth was full of His praise. 
His brightness was like the light. He had rays flashing from his hand, and there was power, and there his power was hidden. To think on Mount Sinai, the grand revelation of God there um, that, that even Moses experienced and the people saw in the cloud, but even more specifically, the Shekinah glory of God that descended there in the temple in the Holy of Holies, or the tabernacle rather at that point, as they were led by uh, a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. God revealed himself in a mighty way to his people. Before him went pestilence and fever followed at his feet. That's likely a description even of the curse of breaking the law. Uh, If you read Exodus, Deuteronomy, if you keep the law, you keep this covenant. There was the blessing of God, but when they transgressed, uh, pestilence and fever would come upon them, it was warned. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and startled the nations, and the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills bowed. His ways are everlasting. All of that poetic description of like the mountains shaking before him, the hills being laid flat, God worked in mighty, grand, spectacular ways. Parted the Red Sea, for goodness sake. He brought it down upon the Egyptian army that was following. I saw the tents of Kishon in affliction, the curtains of the land of the of Midian trembled. O Lord, were you displeased with the rivers? Was your anger against the rivers? Was your wrath against the seas that you rode on your horses, your chariots of salvation? Uh, Poetic descriptions of, it wasn't that he was against nature. No, he was against all those who came against Israel. Uh, He brought judgment upon the Egyptians. He brought judgment upon all the Canaanites even. He delivered his people. The bow was made quite ready. Oaths were sworn over your arrows. God made his promises through even the deliverances over his people, for his people. You divided the earth with waters. The mountains saw you and trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered its voice and lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their habitation. That battle where God literally stopped the sun and moon there in the midst of their warfare. At the light of your arrows they went. At the shining of your glittering spear, you marched through the land in indignation. You trampled the nations in anger. You went forth for the salvation of your people, for salvation with your anointed. You struck the head from the house of the wicked by laying bare from the foundation to neck. All of that poetic language dealing with the description of God's work through Moses, his anointed, through Israel, his anointed, There is a prophetic word here even appointing us to the Christ, the anointed, the work at Calvary and the work yet to come, even in Christ's second coming, all uh, that would point to. You thrust through with his own arrows the head of his villages. They came out like a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was like uh, feasting on the poor in secret. You walked through the sea with your horses, through the heap of great waters when I heard now we get to the end there, verse 15. I'm not going to walk through all the imagery there, um, but it's all pointing to the grand, great ways that God worked for his people. The battles that were won, even where God would confuse the enemies and they attacked one another, and they literally put swords and arrows of their own through one another, thinking they were the enemy. Um, God, God delivered his people in so many different mighty acts, so many different miraculous interventions. His mercy, um, time and time again proven true, So now we go back and Habakkuk says, When I heard, again, this great judgment that was coming, my body trembled, my lips quivered at the voice, rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself. You ever been there before? Experienced such grief? 
such fear even that could be described as rottenness entering his bones and trembling in himself. And then he says that I might rest in the day of trouble. Some translations say that I will await the day of trouble patiently, serving the Lord, following the Lord until it comes, and implied there even as it comes. When he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. Trust in, or rather remember, God's past mercy. Habakkuk cried out to God to remember mercy in the time of wrath, and then his mind goes and poetically describes all of these past interventions of God. You realize we have the greatest act of the mercy of God that happened after the life of Habakkuk that we get to look back upon. He, he had some idea of it, but not really a fullness of any idea what it fully would entail when the Messiah would come. But we have a greater revelation of the merciful heart of God. And we see it at Calvary. We don't look back merely at all of the times He saved His people Israel. We get to look back to where He actually saved us all eternally. Where the Son of God became incarnate and died upon a cross for your sins and my sins, was buried and raised again, and that through the sufferings of a cross, God was at work intentionally carrying forth a, a greater purpose, that through the sufferings of the Christ, salvation would come to all who would turn to Him. What a divine revelation of the merciful heart of God for sinners. That there is wrath, but thank God, in the midst of His wrath, He has shown mercy. Romans 8, verses 31 and 32. What shall we then say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him freely give us all things? If you're hurting in here over a situation you're walking through that you just don't understand, it's good to think back to the merciful act of God through Christ where Jesus died upon a cross for your sins, was buried and raised again. And as Paul is pointing us to in Romans 8, if God has done that for you, will He not be with you through whatever you're going through right now? Remember the past acts of God's mercy and let that lead you to a comfort, to a resting in God. Cry out for God's mercy. Remember God's past mercy. Thirdly and lastly, verses 17 through 19, and we'll close. Trust in God's present mercy. Not only think about and remember His past mercy, but, but by remembering His past mercy, Habakkuk has led to this great declaration of his trust in the present mercy of God and the strength of and the joy even that that gives him in the midst of his trial, in the midst of his fear, in the midst of his trial, the burden, anxiety that he was facing. Listen to these great words of faith that conclude this book. Though the fig tree may not blossom, we think about this being an agricultural type society where you grew everything you ate and your livestock was you know, the means of your living. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines. Though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food. Though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Uh, made up a little modern day paraphrase. Though the stock market crashes and the interest rates soar. Though there's no food on the table and the grocery stores are stripped bare, 
though bankruptcy comes in your house and all of your possessions are taken away, can you say, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Where do you find your true happiness and security and identity? We talked about that Sunday morning. Is it in all this stuff or is it in the Lord God Almighty? But even if all of this stuff is taken totally away and things happen in life that we don't understand, can we say with Habakkuk, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. That God's at work saving my soul in the midst of all of this. Even every suffering that I face. Verse 19 expresses the result of such a faith. The Lord God is my strength. When you come to that peace in the Lord, that resting, that trusting in the Lord, there is strength. It is not from within, it's from above. The Lord is my strength. He will make my feet like the deer's feet, and He will make me walk on my high hills. Now, if you were living in Palestine and you looked up to the mountainy type country that would be hard to walk upon, uh, guess what was walking on it? Leaves, the deer. They would leap and easily walk about places that it would take a lot for you or me to navigate our way through. And that's the imagery that Habakkuk is drawing in here, that just as the deer can tread the high mountains and the rocky you know, places that are hard to navigate, when we're right, trusting in the Lord, when we're walking by faith and not by sight, when we are living by the mercies of God and trusting in the mercy of God, even His present mercy to keep us and sustain us, we are like the deer, navigating situations in life that are hard to navigate, that are hard to walk through, and yet by the strength of God, He makes me walk on my high hills. He, he leads me through it, even with a peace that passes all understanding. Habakkuk's main point at the end is if you trust in God, He will give you the stability in those slippery moments of life. He will guide you through it. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you, God told him. And he was bemoaning that thorn in the flesh that set him back so often. God says, My grace is sufficient for you. You know that this evening. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're struggling with, whatever the burden is upon your heart, God's grace is sufficient for you. Oftentimes in life, we want to know why. Randy Alcorn, I'll close with this, writes, writes these words about that desire to know the reasoning. Sometimes we make the foolish assumption that our Heavenly Father has no right to insist that we trust Him Unless he makes us, unless he makes his infinite wisdom completely understandable to us, what we call the problem of evil is often the problem problem of our finite and fallen understanding. It was the hardest lesson I'd ever had to learn. In our times of suffering, God doesn't give answers as much as he gives himself. I love that. In our times of suffering, God doesn't give answers as much as He gives Himself. 
doesn't call us to an infinite understanding of all things happening. But He does call us to Himself. And He says, trust Me. Find His rest in Me. He promises, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23, we read, It is of the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. Because of His compassions, they, they fail not. They are new every morning. Great is Thy faithfulness. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come to You and we thank You for Your faithfulness, for Your mercies that are Lord, new every morning that never fail us. That you never leave us nor forsake us. That there's nothing that ever happens in our life that takes you off guard and by surprise. That everything that happens, Lord, we know by the promises of your word, happens for a reason. Lord, reasons that we seldom understand that are far beyond us and above us. But Lord, what we do understand is that you are God and you are good and you love us enough that you gave Christ to redeem us. Lord, if you've given us Christ, will you not freely also give us all things? Lord, I pray if there's any here tonight that are struggling, that are facing things they'd rather not be going through, that are hurting, that are questioning, Lord, may you call them to yourself tonight. May they just turn to you, put their faith and trust afresh and anew in you. Lord, even though they may not understand why, they can understand you. They can understand your love and grace you've given through Christ. And may that comfort their heart, comfort their soul. May they find rest. Lord, in you this evening, if there's any here who've never turned to you for salvation, uh, Lord, I pray that even now they would do so. I ask this in Jesus' name.